0: Good morning, church. Good morning. Welcome to WFR. I got a video I want to show you guys. Let me set it up for you first. In 1996, the United States of America assembled what was arguably the best all around women's gymnastics team in the history of the Olympics. They were so good, they were so good they were called. The Magnificent Seven. Now, at this time in history, women's Olympics was generally dominated by Eastern European countries. And in 1996, the United States women's team was in a battle against Russia. And going into the final events, the final day of the of the Olympics... The United States was in the lead by eight-tenths of a point, and they needed a young lady named Carrie Strug to do something incredible on the vault. If she does well, the United States could clinch the gold. If she doesn't, Russia had the possibility of doing something exceptional on the vault and reclaiming the gold for themselves. That's the setup. Take a look at this video. Some of you may not be as familiar. Lots of you have probably already seen that, but it's a perfect segue into a story that some of you may not be as familiar with. On July 30th of 2016, some couples from our church challenged my wife and I to a competition. This is true, and the competition we were challenged to participate in was a a couples waterslide competition. Let me show you uh, the slide. These guys were not joking around. In the same way, Carrie Strug knew she had to leave everything on the line if she was going to win the gold. My wife and I knew we had to leave everything on the slide if we were going to win the gold. This is the guy, this is a picture of the guy who set this up at Dan and Lauren White's home. He is six foot five. So you can see, based on his height compared to the height of the slide, that the slide is about 20 feet tall. We spiced it up a little bit by putting baby shampoo also on the slide. So let me give you a description of the event. There's a, there's a stairway up the left side of the slide, and then the other two lanes are two sliding lanes. I watched a few couples, and I said, Kyrus, I've got it. We're going to slide down in the same lane and then I'm going to grab you and I'm going to toss you into the other lane as we're sliding down the slide and everybody's going to freak out. It's going to be the coolest slide ever. And she at that point got extremely anxious. (laughs) And after using some of my sales techniques on her, I said some of the most famous last words you'll ever hear. I said... Babe, just trust me. Let me show you a picture of the outcome of that experience. That's my wife's leg. That's like a level three lateral sprain, packed in ice later that night. We slid down the same lane. I did toss her, but instead of tossing her to the left in the other lane, I tossed her straight behind me, and I'm moving down the slide at approximately the speed of light, So when I toss her up, she kind of does a midair stall and I go and I hit the end of this thing and then she keeps sliding down. And let me tell you all something, hitting me at the end of the slide was like hitting a brick wall. You know, I'm just rock solid. So there was just nowhere that she could go and her ankle probably collided with my forehead is probably what happened. But we left it all on the line. Okay, now this is a really funny illustration of leaving it on the line, of really going for the gold. Uh, that's, the, that's the purpose of our sermon series. The Olympics have started. We looked at uh, Derek Redmond uh, last week, and Mike talked about uh, being inspired by the inspirational stories of the people from Hebrews chapter 11. He read the first part of Hebrews chapter 12, and this is, a, this is an image of... Now I want to show you guys of the trophy that we did win. Excuse me. This is me with the trophy. It actually was a competition that we were challenged to participate in, and that's Kirsten. That look of, of a smile is is mostly pain, uh, but we did win the trophy. It's sitting on my mantle. I have looked at it every time I pass through my living room in my house. So that should inspire you guys the same way Mike's sermon last week inspired you guys by taking a look at the stories From Hebrews chapter 11 and and that first part of Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. The writer of Hebrews says, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses that have done some incredible things in the faith. And those stories are found in Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews makes a transition. And in his transition, he compares the nature of the Christian life to running a race. And this comparison of the nature of the Christian life to running a race is something that the writers in the New Testament do with frequency. And there's a lot of similarities in the things that Olympians have to do, for example, to prepare themselves for their specific event that in Christ we have to do on essentially a daily basis to prepare ourselves to run the race that God is asking us to run. So I want to go to Hebrews chapter 12 Starting in verse 1, I'm going the second half of that verse, part B, so to speak. And the Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. I want to divide this up in a couple of ways. The first thing I want to focus on is on that idea of throwing off. Now, let me just take a second to say, I do feel like God providentially provided for Kirsten to be injured in that experience so that we could use that as an illustration this morning when I'm talking about throwing off. So the writer of Hebrews says first, in running the race, in living the life in Christ, that you need to be living the first thing you need to do if you're really going to go for the goal. If you're going to really run to win you got to be willing to toss some stuff off. For me, that means two things. The first thing I think the writer of Hebrews intends for us to understand is that this is kind of his way of communicating to us that we need to experience some spiritual taking out of the trash. Some spiritual taking out of the trash. We have three kids under the age of eight living in my home, plus myself and my bride. It feels like in my house I am taking out trash two or three times a day. I mean, we know how to pack it in the garbage can. Never once have I ever taken trash out of the garbage can and thought to myself, man, I just want to bring that inside. I miss it so much. So the, 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 the Greek word here is an absolute term. Not only is the writer saying you've got to throw off some weight, you've got to get rid of some junk, but when you get rid of it, get rid of it for good. This word is used four times in the New Testament. One time is here. Let me give you those other three references real quick. The first is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. The Apostle Paul tells the church in Ephesus, Therefore, each of you must put off, that's the same Greek word, falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. James, the brother of Jesus in James, chapter 1 and verse 21 says, Therefore, get rid of, that's the same Greek word, All moral filth and evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1, also uses this word. He says, therefore, rid yourselves, same word, of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander of every kind. The theme here is to get rid of the junk and to leave it gone. Take it out to the trash and don't bring it back into your home again. But not only is that the idea of of this word in this particular context, the word also carries with it this idea of an exchange. Not simply that I'm getting rid of stuff, but to some degree that what I'm getting rid of, I'm exchanging for some better stuff. Now remember, our context here is running a race. So think about trying to train for a marathon. If you're going to train for a marathon or even a shorter race, like a 5K or a 10K, one of the first things you're going to need to do is go through your cabinets... And get all the junk food out of the cabinets. Because if you don't get the junk food out of the cabinets, what are you going to eventually do with the junk food that's in the cabinets? You're going to do the same thing with that junk food that I do with mine. You're going to shovel it in. And that's going to have a negative influence on how successful your training is going. But it's not enough if you're training for a marathon or a 5K or a 10K to just get rid of the junk food. You need to do what? You need to replace that junk food with some nutritious and delicious, healthy food. And if you're eating right and you're dieting right, combined with quality training, you too, anybody, can get in shape to run to win. Anybody can get in shape to go for the gold. But we have to be willing to toss some stuff out and replace the junk in our lives with better stuff. Now, at this point in the text, the writer here shifts tone. And he gives us two things that we've got to rid our lives from. The first thing he says is that we have to throw off the weight that hinders us. Now I want to talk about that, but before I do, I've got to distinguish that from the next idea this guy talks about. And that's the sin that so easily entangles. So there's a difference in the mind of this writer between the weight that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Here's what I make of that. I think the weight that hinders us in the Christian life is the emotional baggage and weight that we carry around. The weight that hinders us in the Christian life is the emotional baggage that we carry around. Now here's why I think that. If you were to do a a word study on the word used for weight or the things that hinder what you would find is that that's the same word used to describe a benign tumor. This isn't something that's going to kill you, but it's sure going to weigh you down to the point that if you're really trying to run to win, if you're really trying to go for the gold, there are going to be times and seasons in that race where it feels like that extra baggage is going to kill you. What the writer of Hebrews is saying here is that 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 emotional pain, that emotional weight that weighs you down, down you have to find a way to allow God the god of the universe who loves you who gave his son for you who knows everything you've ever done and still walks every day beckoning you to himself you've got to find a way to allow that loving father to heal the emotional baggage that you carry around and if I'm gonna if I'm going to be honest and look at my life I think the, the source of of most of the emotional baggage that I carry around is is from things in my past. It's from things in my past that I've done that have hurt somebody else, or it's things in my past that somebody else has done that have hurt me. And I'm like a walking machine of mistakes. Remember, I said we got kids under age 8 in my home. we got three of them. And almost every day I feel like I do something, as far as parenting is concerned, that I shouldn't do. And man, it costs so much energy to parent kids the way I believe Christ would try to parent them. And I'm trying to hold myself to a high standard, and so often I don't measure up. And then I think about that stuff in my past and it weighs me down. And the emotional baggage that I carry makes it difficult to run to win, to run to get the gold. The writer of Hebrews is saying, Man, throw that's just junk. Get rid of it. Throw it away. Don't ever bring it back into your life. Allow God to resolve all the junk in your past that causes you pain, either because you've done something wrong or because someone has done something wrong that has hurt you. And then he moves into that next category. Now this is where it gets real. Because that emotional pain from our past mistakes, if it's left unchecked, can influence us into sinful activity. If we leave that emotional pain where it's at, that emotional pain can influence us into sinful activity. And what we know in our lives is that the sinful activity in our lives gets progressively worse. The sinful activity in all of our lives, in yours and in mine, gets progressively worse. I allow myself to sin that one time and then it's easier to sin again and again and again and again. The Apostle Paul is training a young man named Timothy for the ministry. And he says, hey, Timothy, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but he tries to please his commanding officer. That's in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4. When we sin, the sin has an entangling effect in our lives. It wraps us up rather than us wrapping it up. And those of us who have entertained sin for a season understand that when we give ourselves permission to stray, then that next step in the wrong direction is easier to take, and the next step after that is easier as well. The writer of Hebrews would say, don't just get rid of the emotional baggage and the emotional pain because of the past stuff that's hurt you or that you've done that have hurt others, but also get rid of the sin. In Jesus Christ, we need to get rid of the sin in our life. I think there are two things that most Christians struggle with when it comes to consistently struggling with sin. The first thing I think we struggle with are those things we know we shouldn't do that we continue to do anyway. It's easy in church to show up on Sunday morning And put on a smile and worship God and pray and be excited. It is much more difficult the other 164 hours of the week to live the way we lived on Sunday morning. We need to learn how to allow our lives outside of church to match up with our lives inside of church. And that means making sure in our lives to not do the things we know we shouldn't be doing anyway. And it's really easy to give myself permission... To keep doing things I shouldn't do when I'm not doing the things I know I should be doing. It's really easy to give myself permission to do the things I know I shouldn't do when I'm not doing the things I know I should be doing. We're all spoiled in Western culture. If I were to ask any of you, give me a list of three or four things that a Christian needs to be doing, should be doing every day in their Christian life. You guys are going to know what to say. They should engage in some form of corporate worship or fellowship. They should be reading the Bible. They should be having quiet time. They should be praying. And now if we were to ask the next natural question that would follow that, it would be how often are we taking the initiative to do those things we know we should be doing? And for so many of us, we're locked into that Western lifestyle. We're busy. We got three kids under the age of eight. We got trash to take out. We got uh, ankles to sprain. We got competitions to win and trophies to gain. And those, that speed of life, as fast as it moves, makes it very, very difficult for us to do the things we know we should do. And when we're not doing the things we know we should do, we're not building the level of strength. Spiritual strength and stamina required, such that in the moment of temptation, when the battle's really raging and the enemy's really at our doorstep and we're really, really tempted in a moment, it's so difficult to do what we need to do because so often in the moments we should be doing something, we're not doing anything. We need to throw off that emotional junk from our past mistakes or others'. Mistakes that have caused us pain. And we need to get rid of the sin in our life by first doing the things we know we should do. And that developing our maturity and stamina for the race we're winning. Such that we cannot do the things we know we shouldn't do. Let me hear you this morning, WFR. Can I get an amen on that? Now the writer of Hebrews transitions into really what the subject of his verses are to open the 12th chapter of Hebrews. He says, run with perseverance. You see, in this imagery, you're not even ready to run the race until you've thrown aside the weight that hinders and you've gotten rid of the sin in your life. You're not even set to step on the starting line. So many of us anticipate all this awesome stuff to happen in our lives in Christ, but we haven't gotten rid of the emotional baggage and we haven't gotten rid of the sin in our lives. But once those two things are taken care of, now we can run the race. And the writer says, run the race with perseverance. I've had the opportunity to train for a couple of long races. I want to share with you three things I think you can do if you really want to run to win. Go for the gold and run with perseverance. The first thing you got to do is pound the pavement. Say that with me. Pound the pavement. you got to pound the pavement you got to get out there and put in the time and do the work if you're going to win the gold. In 1972, NASA scientists developed a satellite called the Pioneer 10. The goal of the satellite was to fly to Jupiter and be the first satellite to take pictures of Jupiter. Now these NASA guys, they're like these brilliant guys. And so they designed Pioneer 10 in 1972... ...with the technology that they think will allow it to go much farther than Jupiter. But the goal at least was to design it such that it could photograph Jupiter. So they intentionally designed it to go much longer... ...but they wanted to make sure they got Jupiter photographed. So in 1972, they launched the satellite. A year later, it's in Jupiter's orbit... ...and it photographs back some pictures of Jupiter. But because these guys were so intentional with how they built Pioneer 10... That thing kept on going and it went past Saturn and then it went past Uranus and Neptune and then Pluto, which was a planet at the time and now no longer is. We're going to be talking about uh, discrimination in our Sunday school classes through the month of August. So you guys attend those and we'll talk about Pluto and commiserate together, right? Look, y'all, it went past Pluto outside of our system The last transmission this thing sent was in 2003, billions and billions of miles from Earth. Here's what's cool. That whole system was powered on 150 watts of energy, which is about enough to run one of these fluorescent bulbs. And the radio that transmitted signal back to Earth ran on 8 watts, which is much less electricity than is even required to run a nightlight in your bedroom. Here's the point. You guys have been designed with more intentionality than those NASA scientists designed the Pioneer 10. When God created you, He created you to run the race and to run the race to get the gold. So I promise you, if you will get out there and pound the pavement, if you'll put some sweat equity in, what you'll find is what the NASA scientists who designed Pioneer 10 found, that if things are designed with intentionality, they can go farther than the people who know them anticipate them being able to go. But if you pound the pavement long enough, you're going to experience some pain. I'm 32 years old this month. My knees feel like they are 57 today. Now, some of you old guys are like, dude, I'd do anything to get 32-year-old knees back. I don't care what this guy's been through. The thing that makes me say that is I did go on this climbing deal. I got so much sermon mileage out of this trip. One illustration I want to use this morning. When we summited the the peak that we intended to climb, we got up at 2 a.m. We were on the summit at 745. We didn't get back down the mountain until almost 5 p.m. That day was a 15-mile day in high altitude with a total elevation gain and loss of about 12,000 feet. Yes, I am a stud. I know that's what you guys are thinking anyway. Let's just get that out in the open right now, okay? But, I promise you, after about hour ten, my feet hurt so bad, I could not see the scenery around me. Now, this is what's too bad about that. I was arguably in the most beautiful place in the world. Mount Whitney is nestled in this valley with beautiful trees and waterfalls everywhere and peaks that have been carved by glaciers over hundreds of years. And none of that mattered. I couldn't I couldn't have told you what the ground looked like any farther than about three feet in front of my nose. Because I was in so much pain. But just because I was in such a significant amount of pain didn't mean the scenery wasn't there. Here's what a lot of us do in our Christian lives. We set out to really pound the pavement and go for the gold, but the pain in our situation makes it hard for us to see God at work in that situation. The pain from our situation and running the Christian race makes it hard for us to see God at work in the situation that we are in. But just because we can't see the pain, see through the pain doesn't mean God is not working. Simply because your pain is so great. You can't see God. Doesn't mean God can't see you. Can I get a witness this morning WFR? God sees you in your pain. He is with you in your pain. And he is helping you through your pain. But you've got to be willing to experience some of it. Last thing I want to mention on it, really how to run with perseverance. Is you've got to pinpoint the prize. You've got to have your eyes set on the prize. Same, win, same Olympic Games, 1996 in Atlanta. The women's softball team was crushing it. They're playing Australia. Danielle Tyler, third baseman, steps up to the plate. Fifth inning, scores 0-0. Zero to zero. A pitch comes in and she tees off. Boom! Over the center field wall. You need to look this up online. Super cool story. The United States is in the lead. She rounds first base. She rounds second base. She rounds third base. She comes home. Yeah! Awesome. Her teammates are just out there ripping and roaring. She had a home run in the stinking Olympic game. She's a stud. And in the celebration, she took her eyes off of home plate. And she wanders off the field with the team back into the dugout. The second they set foot in the dugout, the Australian player's like, yo, yo, she didn't touch home plate. And the umpire, in this dramatic fashion, calls her out. The game goes into extra innings. The United States gets beat by Australia, their only loss in '96. And fortunately, they were able to go on and win, but because of that lack of focus on the prize, it cost them the game. Let me say two things about that. The first is, God's grace is enough to overcome any mistake you make. Did you hear me? WFR I said, "God's grace is enough." To cover up and make up for any mistake you make. There's nothing that God's grace can't overcome. And if you're not focused on the prize, if you don't have pinpoint accuracy and surgical precision on the end goal, you're going to miss some stuff in this life that God's hoping you don't miss. So what in the world is the end goal? Trent, awesome. I'm going to pound the pavement. I'm going to push through the pain and I'm going to pinpoint the prize. What in the world is at the finish line? What do I need to be focused on? Here's what's really cool. The last phrase of Hebrews 12:1, I think is one of the most important in all of scripture. And all the writer says is run with perseverance the race that's marked. You guys, God has made the way clear. It's not like in the Christian life, we're just running with blinders on, hoping we don't fall off a cliff or get hit by a car or trip and fall and break our ankles and our knees and everything else and not be able to run again. God has made the way clear. Romans 1:19, the Apostle Paul spends the first chapter of the book of Romans talking about that very thing. He says God's made himself plain, obvious to his creation. In the very next chapter, in Romans chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says, even natural man outside of the Jews who had special revelation, special special revelation would be the law and the prophets. These guys heard directly from God. The Apostle Paul says in chapter Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, even natural man who didn't receive the law and who doesn't have the prophets, their consciences can lead them to do the things that are in the law and applaud them or lead them. Or, 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 or really bust their tails when they're not doing the things in the law. Simply because they have a conscience. Simply because they've been made in the image of God. God has made himself knowable and makes himself known. And we've got to know God if we're going to go the way to God. We've got to come to terms with the reality that being made in God's image allows us Through the working of the Holy Spirit to know God. And once we come to terms with that, then we have to have the gap between us and God bridged by the Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus says in John 14, 6, almost that exact phrase, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. And no one can come to the Father but by me. You want to know the way? God's made a way, Kurt. Kurt. The way is Jesus Christ. And the way is free for anyone to take. The first thing we got to do when we come to terms with the reality that we know God exists and that He's real. Is that we got to be born again to know God. And when we're born again, uh, according to the way Jesus said, water and the Spirit. Then our next necessary step is... Is to allow ourselves to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ the Son. That's what going the way is all about. That's the race. That's the way. That's the method. we got to know that God exists. And then we got to bridge the gap between God and us through Jesus Christ. And then we got to be conformed to Jesus more and more every single day. How do we do that? Throw off the weight that hinders. Throw off the sin that entangles. And run with perseverance the race set before us. And by the power of God, if we will do that, we will win the prize. We'll get to see God. We'll get to have an inheritance the same as Jesus Christ. And that should fire us up so much that we should want to show everybody else the way. Yes, by the words that we speak, but most importantly, by the race we're running. By running to win, by really going for the gold. I don't know what the need is in your life. I know all of you have weight that you're carrying around. And I know some of you are even struggling with sin that easily entangles. Or maybe you've been running and you feel your stamina getting sapped. And you need a renewal of strength. Maybe you've never been born again. And you really need to get to know the way by going the way. I'm going to close in prayer. And if you have any need, we invite you to respond after I pray. Bow with me. Lord, we love you so much. We thank you for Jesus who made a way for us when there was no way. And now we can go that way because of your grace by his blood. God, I ask that any who are carrying a weight with them this morning would be moved to respond. I ask that any who are dealing with sin that entangles would also be moved to respond. Those who aren't born again and can't go the way, I pray that you would move them to respond as well. It's in Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. Stand with me while together we sing.